Hey, good morning, everybody. Y'all doing well today? Yeah, man. Good to see so many back for the Sunday after the Sunday, right? I see a great crowd out there at Midlothian. Good to have you. We had a, an incredible Easter weekend last weekend, you know, with with COVID and everything going on the last year, we hadn't seen that kind of engagement in a long time. We had almost 2,400, 2,385 at our two campuses, over six services last weekend, almost 200 out at Midlothian. That was sure exciting out there. And with even all that were here, we had over 1,500 online uh, engaging with us there. So it was a great weekend. And think of what we were engaging with last week, man, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's be praying. It continues to bring in a harvest. You know, just listening to that song, Ask Again. I don't think maybe that's what you were listening to out at Midlothian, but that's that song, Ask Again. I'm reminded, man, let's, let's ask again on behalf of Sue Osborne. I, I've mentioned her a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Mike and Sue, Mike is our executive pastor. Sue's had ongoing heart issues for years and years and years, and one procedure after another trying to resolve that. That finally landed in a, in a valve replacement, open heart surgery a couple of weeks ago, and coming out of that every single day was just a step forward un- until this weekend, and she went back into AFib. And, uh, you know, we're still trusting that's going to get resolved, but just emotionally very heavy. I imagine some of you have been there. You keep trying to solve something, and you just keep ending up going backwards. And so uh, be in prayer for her. Supposedly, they've got a procedure tomorrow, I think somewhat simple, and, and uh, hopefully get her back home and on recovery. But, but keep praying for uh, Sue and Mike as they walk through that. Well, as I, I said, back, back today from the Sunday after, last week was so big, I thought we might start with, uh, you know, just a little different today. We're going to take a pop quiz. If everybody pull out a piece of paper and pen, we'll turn this in. Then you remember that sinking feeling when you heard that pop you know, and then every now and then the teacher would lose her mind and say, now you don't have to turn it in and it doesn't count for a grade. And you go, oh, okay, so no matter what I do, right? So yeah, we're not going to turn it in. Just take this little quiz in your head. Go ahead right now and start listing in your mind the 12 original disciples, the 12 disciples that followed Christ. Don't use your phone. Don't, just right now in your mind, start listing them. You know, we got a list going. I bet I can guess who the first couple are. Yeah. You know, it would be fun to turn the list in, wouldn't it? I'll tell you what, I got $5 right now, says Moses and David are on the list. I guarantee you we'll, we'll, we'll get that. Somebody's going, why are they laughing? I got Moses. Moses, that wonderful men of God, not one of the original. Tw- hey, you know two others that would make the list? Mark and Luke. Somebody's going, yeah, I listed them. What's wrong? Yeah, they did. They gave us two of the four Gospels, but not one of the original 12. That, two that are not going to be mentioned. Who, who, I mean, we'll show a hands here. Who mentioned Bartholomew? Okay, there we go. We got a couple. A couple out at Midlothian. I see that. Midlo- okay, here's one I bet you didn't get. Judas. Who, who, who? Oh, look, everybody's so proud. I mentioned Judas. <laughs> the other one. Did you know there was two? There's two Judases, and you listed the bad one, didn't you? Okay, so pull your head out. I was wrong. Mark, mark that. Wouldn't, man, wouldn't it have been awful to go through life being the other Judas? How many conversations did he begin going, No, I swear, I'm not him. 
No, he's not even here anymore. You know, he never got invited to any church to speak. Who wants to hear from him? Hey, what would you guess is the first one that came to every single one of our minds? Peter. I, I would have guessed Peter. Second, John. Peter and John probably are two most well-known disciples. And uh, John is going to be kind of our topic of conversation uh, today and his passion for Christ, his passion for Christ's people. Christ followers. John, throughout the New Testament church, is simply known as the beloved. Man, how would you like to go through life and be known as Jesus' best friend? I mean, where all can you play that card? I mean, at least in the church world, right? I mean, certainly that's got to be worth something, but yet you almost never see that. Matter of fact, what's kind of unique about John is he never mentions his own name. Never refers to himself. So he's, he seems to be quite humble as he carries around this title, the best friend of Jesus. And at the point that we're going to be looking at him, because he, he lived a long life and we're going to be more at the end of his life. And by the time we get to that place, John may be the biggest person in Christendom. And, and we'll explain why in, in just a moment. But we're looking at John today, getting to know him, because as you heard earlier, today we are starting a 12-week study of First John. You might be wondering, how long is that book? We're going to spend 12 weeks. It's actually pretty short. Uh, it's only five chapters, but we're going to kind of go through it verse by verse and see all this great book has for us. I say book, it's a letter. I call it first because John wrote three. So you'll see First John, Second John, Third John. They're right there at the end of the New Testament. You start in Revelation at the end, then Jude, and then you're into the three letters from John. And he gives us... Uh, these three letters. And First uh, John, if we try to put a date on it, when we date books in the Bible, we're usually looking at internal and external evidence. Internal evidence is when the book writes something historical or chronological. Okay, we know when that event was, so this would have been written about right here. And, and, and then in external evidence is one's, like one example, we, when somebody writes about that book and we know when that letter's dated. So if somebody's writing about something in 100 AD, uh, and, and then we know that, okay, well, if he's talking about 1 John by then, it had to be before that. So we have internal and external evidence, and I gave you that little lesson, and you're thinking, what in the world? So in 1 John, we have almost no internal evidence on how to date this book. There's nothing historical or chronological in time happening. It's not a narrative. It's not a story. It's just teaching. So there's nothing that really dates it. Externally, we do have some pretty good evidence, and this letter would be dated around AD 90, which, oddly enough, may be about the age of John as he writes this book. Uh, he, he's 87 to 92. He's somewhere kind of in, in that age range as he writes this book. And he, at this age, at this point, is, is the last living of the original 12 disciples. Now, of course, we lost the, the Judas we were all thinking about. We lost him Easter weekend, right? 
He, he took his own life after having betrayed Christ. And, uh, and so then these disciples are now heading out into the world. We call them apostles. And the first one to die, this is kind of interesting, is John's brother, James. So you, you have the two brothers that kind of bookend uh, the, the disciples, if you, again, don't really count Judas, but you start with, with, with uh, James. And all of these disciples gave their lives for Christ. They were all executed. They were all martyred for their faith. James, we can read about in Acts chapter 12, he was killed by Herod. And so John watched his brother be executed. And, and then he has watched his friends, Peter and Paul. Paul's not one of the original 12, but we know him as one of the big apostles that's up and coming. Peter and Paul were both executed in the 60s by Nero. And then as we move from the 60s into the 70s, we pretty much wrap up all, all the other disciples. Again, all died giving their faith or giving their witness for Christ. And John is the only one who lived to old age, but they did try to kill him. One time they tried to execute him. They put him in a, in a cauldron of boiling oil. Now, I don't know about y'all, but it, I think the moment I hit that oil, I'm thinking, I don't know that I want to survive at this point, right? What, what does he look like coming out of that? What, what, what is he living with for the rest of his life after that? And, and so this now very aged disciple, think of all he's seen. He's seen his brother and, and his friends. When I say seen, I'm not, I'm not saying he was visually there, but, but he, has, he has seen his friends and his brother give their life for Christ. He's watched the church. Boy, think of the change he would have seen in the church. He, he, he used to be able to walk into a room, 120 of us, and every single one of us, had personal experience, eyewitness to Jesus Christ. To now, he can walk into churches all over, and there may not be a single person in the room who was even alive when Jesus walked on the earth. He's watched it grow from that 120 to spreading out over three continents. He, he, has, he has watched it grow from but that, that first 120 there in the room, and, and when the Holy Spirit fell, man, they're like, they're like special forces. These are warriors for Christ. And many of them, not just the 12, many of them would go on to be so faithful to their witness to Christ that if it cost their lives, they gave it. And now, six decades later, He's seen a church, again, that has grown expansively, and that's exciting. And, you know, the command on John is the command on you and me, go get them. Go share that gospel. Go keep getting people. But, you know, as the church flourishes and grows and, and the numbers get added, you know, sometimes with that, the, the church can get kind of soft, can't it? You know, we're not that tight, small group of warriors. Now we're just a big group of people coming and checking things out, seeing what's going, what's going on. And, and he's watched a church go being so distinctive from the world to sometimes you can go to church, can't tell a whole lot of difference. 
I mean, are, are, as followers of Christ, are we, really, are we really any different from the world? Is, is our agenda, our priorities, our values, are they... Are we going to lay down our lives for Christ? And he's, he's watched this happen in the church. He's watched this happen. And boy, what would you, how would you think about that when you've watched that for six decades? How, what would be going through your mind in that? I don't think he's grown frustrated with the church. Man, he loves the church. And he's a pastor. He, he pastored the church in Ephesus you know, when we, when we hear Ephesus, we think of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and, and so we kind of link Paul with Ephesus. Paul had a great ministry there, wrote one of the great letters of the New Testament, but, but Paul was the, the longtime pastor at Ephesus. He, he pastored or helped a pastor with seven other churches that all got a letter in Revelation. You remember the opening of Revelation. There's seven churches mentioned. John was involved in all of those. So this is a guy that is very experienced in the faith, very experienced with the church, a tremendous Christian thinker. You know, when we think of prolific writers of the Bible, my guess is John's not the first one that comes to our mind. I mean, we're going to think of Moses, right? Man, he gave us the first five books of the Bible, and they're big books. I mean, that's a chunk of change when you, man, this is a big percentage of the Bible. Yeah, Moses writes a lot in the New Testament. We think of Paul. Paul, Paul gives us 13 of the 27 letters of the New Testament, but, but a lot of his letters are kind of short. He's got some long ones in there, but he's, he's got a lot of short ones. But he does give us about half the New Testament. You know, would John come to our mind, though? John gives us 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. I, we just referred to those, and they're short. But he also gives us the Gospel of John. He, he, he gives us the Revelation. Five of the New Testament books come from John. So he is a, a great Christian thinker. And a lot of those books were written, including the Gospel of John, much later in his life. Matthew, Mark, Luke had already made their contribution, and there's a lot of similarity. John stands out. Well, John's now working with how things are unfolding. He's now working with, okay, what are people struggling with? What are, what are we needing to understand? And so he writes his Gospel much later, but all of, all of his writings would have been in the 80s and beyond. Well, doesn't that say something to us, uh, uh, us disciples, followers of Christ that are heading into the 60s, 70s, and 80s? Isn't it natural to kind of think it's the next generation's turn? They can carry it for a while. Man, I, not John. He gives us five books of the New Testament, 80 and older. He's out there serving Christ at 80 and older, doing maybe his greatest work. Boy, this aged disciple has grown to be so much like his Savior. Oh, he was like him, following closely when Jesus walked on the earth. But now as Jesus has ascended back to heaven, perhaps even by faith, has grown closer to Christ. And that's what he wants for you and me. You and I who journey through this world, this very tempting world, this, this world that bears down on us to make us like them, boy, he, he desires for us a closeness and a proximity to Christ. Are you close to Christ? Are you following him closely? You know, I imagine a lot of us want to answer that and say, well, 
I think, I hope, I'm trying. How, how do you even know? Well, you know, that's the beauty of John. He's going to help you know. Such simple ideas. As a matter of fact, let me, let me show you three. These, these are th- an example of the kinds of things we'll put, put up there. Have I confessed my sins to God? Am I walking in obedience to God's word? Am I demonstrating a love for other Christians? Now, you look at those questions, and they might appear to be kind of real quick yes-no questions. But before you get too quick at answering yes and no, if you're saying yes, what are you pointing to when you say that? What, what, what's the evidence in that that you would point to and say, yes, here's what I'm doing. Here's how I'm doing. But that's so John right there. John is simple. He is clear. He is direct. It's practical. It's understandable. Rarely are you going to read something in John and just not get what he's trying to say. He, he's very straightforward. And he kind of has that straightforward view of the world. He kind of looks at people, he kind of looks at the world in, in dichotomies. You know, it's, it's, either, it's either A or it's B. And I'm going to tell you right now, most of us are going to go, is there a C? Is there something in between? But that's just kind of his simple view of uh, uh, when he puts on a lens and looks at people, looks at the world. Let me show you six dichotomies that we're going to see. If you could put that next line up there. There we go. Look at that. He's put on a lens of light versus darkness, right versus wrong, Christ versus antichrist, righteousness versus sin, love of the Father versus love of the world. It's going to be a big one. Children of God versus children of Satan. See, very clear. It's it's either A or it's B. And don't you look at a lot of those and go, is there something in between? Is, is, Is there something else? You know, I think there's a part of us that likes that simplicity and that clarity. You know, it, it, it just makes it easy to understand. But I'll tell you what is, we're influenced by our culture, and we all are. As we're influenced by our culture, you know, today we're a culture of the gray, right? We're, we're a culture of the middle ground. There's no right or wrong. Matter of fact, the only wrong I'm certain of is that it's wrong to say there's a right and wrong. We live in the middle, we live in the, in the gray, and so that kind of dichotomy, you're either this or you're, child, you either love God or you love Satan. Uh, you know, and we're looking, we're looking for that middle ground. John's not going to let us hide. And, and so while there's some peace in the clarity, there's some awkwardness and there's these, there's this dichotomy here. John's going to, I'm telling you right now, He's going to give us a very hard line on truth. He's going to give us a hard line on right and wrong. You know, as I've described John as being real direct and clear, John always wants you to know why he's writing. He's, of any writer in the entire Bible, he's always real, real clear on my purpose for sitting down and writing this. He gives us three purposes in 1 John. Look at this. That we have fellowship with God and each other. He sat down, started writing so that you and I would enjoy the joy of fellowship with God. And that goes hand in hand with each other. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too. Here's why I'm writing. So that. 
You too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. You know, we're, next week, we're going to dive into that verse. And we're going to, first thing we're going to do, because fellowship's going to be a big word through this whole 12 weeks, we're going we're gonna to kind of get a grab on what fellowship is. I think we're all confident that it involves coffee or a casserole. But it might be a little deeper than that when John's writing about it. Another purpose, that we may not sin. Boy, this is classic John right here, 1 John 2, 1. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I wonder what John means by that. Just, that's just, here's the purpose. And then number three, that we may know we have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. That you may know. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses in the Bible it, it, to me. That you may know. If there's nothing that makes it more clear that my salvation, my righteous standing with God has nothing to do with me. Because <laughs> if it had anything to do with me, I couldn't, I couldn't know. Because I have good days and bad days. I, I'm, I have days where I look just like Jesus. I do. I, do. I think I have some. But I have days where I look like something not so Jesus, right? And so if I'm trying to anchor to, oh, I've believed right. Oh, I'm acting right. Oh, I'm doing right. Then I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be all over the place. But what God's will for me is, what God's will for you is that we know, not hope, not be pretty sure that we know. I can't wait to get to that. That's 12 weeks away. I'm ready to do that one right now. Right now, let's jump on 1 John 5.13. It's just such an incredible verse. Now think of those three purposes. And again, I'm going to use, I'm, I'm kind of making fellowship uh, the, the mantra all the way through this. If I leave 1 John in 12 weeks with what he has for me, I've got a great fellowship with God and with you. I've got a great fellowship with truth. And I've got a great fellowship with security and confidence. I don't know about y'all, that sounds like a pretty strong platform to be working from, right? I got that kind of bond, that kind of connection with God, you, truth, and my future. That's got to be a place of strength, right? Don't we need that in our world today? Don't we need that in our world today? You know, to, to, to borrow a phrase from Nietzsche, I don't borrow a whole lot of phrases from Nietzsche. Frederick Nietzsche, a German philosopher, was a, a God-hater. Not a, not a non-believer, he was a God-hater. And he had a desire for the world that he called, listen to this, a transvaluation of values. A transvaluation of values. He wanted a world where everything that was considered good is now seen as bad. Everything that's healthy is now seen as sick. I think we're living where he desired. It's not safe. It's not even safe to believe in right and wrong. You set yourself up to be canceled. And I think that leaves you, me, it leaves the church on really kind of an unstable ground. I think we're fearful. 
Who, who, who are we in this society? What, what is our stand in this society? And if I take a stand, am I willing to pay the price? Do you know that's kind of the question John's trying to address? Will, will you take a stand? Will you, will you pay the price? And I, and I wonder how much of the church, I don't think we'd say it out loud. We wouldn't say it bold and proud. We'd just kind of duck our head and start backing away. No, we're not willing to pay the price. I do not want to be canceled in the world. So who's the one that's going to be challenging us? John has walked six decades through a world where he was never anything but canceled. For six days, he's lost, six decades, he's lost his brother and his best friends. He was, I would imagine, imprisoned so many times. If you'd say, hey, John, how many times were you thrown in jail? He wouldn't be able to give you a number. He's been tortured. There are the scars of Christ all over his body. You know, I, I, I wonder, at, at John's, this isn't just a person. This is a 90-year-old person with all he's seen and experienced and, and has faithfully lived. I, I just wonder, I mean, at what point do you just get tired, right? Jesus, is there any chance you could just come get me? You know, we, we reach an age, and this is something that comes with age, where with each passing day, heaven holds more for us than the earth does. That doesn't happen because we believe in God. For most of us in this room, myself included, it's still kind of back and forth. The world still holds a lot that I want. But boy, you can reach a place where all of a sudden, I don't want anything here. Everything I want, everything I love is in heaven. Everything I'm looking forward to is in heaven. Jesus, I, I've tried to serve you well. Could, could, could we call it a day? Could you come and get me? Best I can tell from what John wrote and things written about him, he never reached that place. It seems that his love for Christ was such that if he woke up today then loving Christ meant loving God's people with everything I am, no matter what it costs. And he wanted to call you and me, and that love for us, he wanted to call us. Think, think of this, a guy with scars all over his body, pain everywhere, everybody's loved has been executed, and he wants to call you and I to confidence? Think of our motivational speakers in the world today. You know, you look sharp, you look prosperous, you look, you look like you're on top of the world. I, I just can't help but think that after you've been boiled in oil, I don't know what you look like, but probably not on top of the world. And this is the guy saying, man, I want you to know a bond with God and with his people. I want you to know a bond with truth. I want you to have a bond with your future. Man, I want to get to know this a little better, don't you? I want, I want to operate from that kind of strength. You and I have not had to follow Christ in the world that John did. But I think we're in a transition. I, I actually fear that my... 
my grandkids could see some of what John saw, feel what John felt. And I hope they could look at their grandfather and have at least a little bit of an idea of what it means that all that counts in this world is Christ and loving and serving his people. You excited? You ready to dive in? All right, we'll see you next Sunday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you gave us through your great servant, John, this letter. Lord, I I pray over the next six days, everything that will go on in our life, good, bad, right, wrong, that whatever's going on around me, whatever's going on in my heart and mind, I pray my heart and mind is in the perfect place to open up and read 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 next week. Lord, I want to hear what you are speaking and saying to me, to our congregation, through your servant John, right for the world that we live in today. Lord, I pray as we go through this, it'll just be, yay, another opportunity to fall deeper in love with you and what you've given us in your word. May we ever grow in our, in our appreciation and in our study and in our knowledge of it. And Lord, I pray when we get to July 11, I think, I want to be a little more like John, who was so much like Jesus. Lord, we lift this up to you and pray your blessing on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.